Let's jump into our text here this morning. You know, we actually are uh, kind of in a transition right now in the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew. And just to kind of give you an idea of how the Gospel of Matthew, especially the Sermon on the Mount, is structured, these Beatitudes, the first four Beatitudes are really structured in a way that, that really kind of, as we said before, hone in on the heart Again, Jesus is all about heart transformation. And so the first four beatitudes of realizing our, our, our poor in spirit and our mourning and our meekness and our hunger and thirst after righteousness, all those things are really how we relate to God. And therefore, in turn, the final four beatitudes really speak on uh, what those things look like practically lived out. The first four really kind of delve into kind of a heart transformation, a heart uh, uh, renovation, so to speak. And then the final four Beatitudes focus in on, well, this is what it looks like practically lived out. And it's interesting when you look at the kind of the correlation here, the first Beatitude in verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit, correlates with the, the fifth Beatitude, blessed are those who are merciful. The reason why there's such a correlation here is because of this. The person who is poor in spirit, as we already learn, is someone who understands their spiritual bankruptcy before God. And the person who truly understands that they have nothing to offer God, the person who understands that they have, they have no uh, way to make themselves more acceptable to God, therefore under, also understands they are fully dependent upon the mercy and the grace of God. As I like to say and repeat once again, if you were perfect from this day forward, you would not be more acceptable to God. If you were perfect from this day forward, you would not be more lovable to God. Because your acceptance before God has nothing to do with your performance or your ability. It has everything to do with God's grace and mercy in your life. That's it. And we receive that by faith. And knowing that we have been the recipients of God's mercy, knowing that we have been the recipients of God's grace, knowing that God has lavished us because of his great love for us, therefore in turn we read in verse seven, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Knowing that we are fully dependent upon God's mercy, knowing that we have received God's mercy, Therefore, God says, in its most practical terms, now I want you to be extenders of my mercy. I want you to be an extension of my mercy to one another. I read a story this past week about a pastor who was relating a time in which he was uh, going out to eat with his family and had his kids with him, his wife with him, and they're going to a favorite restaurant in an urban context, and uh, on the way to this restaurant, they saw a, a man who was obviously homeless, and a man who not just was homeless, but someone who was really struggling in the moment, and he wasn't just sitting on the street, but he was really rubbing his leg, and they could tell he was kind of injured, and he, was, he had blood coming down his leg, and they're like, huh, and obviously, you know, coming up to this man, they just walked by, and they went to the restaurant, had a great dinner, Walked out, saw the man that had crossed the street, but they had to cross the street too to get back to their car. And in so doing, they walk by this man, and the man looks up and says, Could you spare a quarter? 
course, in that moment, maybe you can even understand, a whole flood of ideas and thoughts come to your mind. Do I stop? Do I not stop? Do I give them a quarter? Do I give them more than a quarter? I got my family here. I got to think about their protection. All, all these things kind of come to mind. And what this pastor says he did was walk on. And usually when you walk on, it's out of sight, out of mind, and the guilt is lessened as you keep walking further and further away. Until the, later in that week, he opens up his Bible and he reads Matthew chapter five, verse seven, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This pastor goes on to relate this. He says, he says what, most, what bothered me the most about this whole encounter what the Holy Spirit was convicting me about the most was my reaction to the poor man. I was one, unwilling to do anything. As soon as I saw him, I immediately closed up and refused to allow myself to feel any compassion for the needy human being. He goes on to relate in a story that all kinds of ideas came to mind. I could have done this and I could have done this and if I, if I were to kind of repeat this whole scenario, this whole encounter, I could have actually done something but I never even took the time to stop to even consider something. Instead, I just moved on. It was inconvenient. I had my family with me. He's probably homeless for a reason. I don't know about you, but I can all too well relate to this pastor. On one hand, I'm very grateful for the times in which I feel like I have been faithful. I'm grateful for the times that I have been obedient and when God has put people in my path that I have actually stopped and I've actually asked, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I've acted and I've, I've humanized people by just acknowledging their presence even though they might have been smelly and, and maybe unsightly at a first appearance. There's times in my life where I'm like, wow, God, thank you so much for using me. But on the other hand, there are many moments in which I have justified and dismissed myself from any obligation whatsoever. There are many times in my life where I immediately go to this process. Why don't you just get a job? You're kind of responsible for your plight. All these decisions, poor decisions you made, up, made to this point have led you to this point. Not to mention, I might even say, I don't want to enable this person any further. There was a man, actually, even uh, as I've been convicted and sobered by my study this week, even yesterday, there's a man walking down our street. We live on a dead-end street. There's a gully. And this gully is kind of cool in the sense because it's got a little creek at the bottom and idealistically, I go, man, wouldn't that be so cool if my kids could just run down there and play and it'd be all so great and they could just run and play in the woods and everything and it'd be so much fun. The problem is there's a lot of homeless people that also sleep down there. 
And they've also found needles down there. And so I feel conflicted in my heart because on one hand, I want to give my kids the opportunity that I had growing up in Alaska, you know, where they could just run and play and the whole outdoors was kind of your, your, your territory. But on the other hand, I go, well, now I've got to be cautious. And we've gone down there once before, but I'm constantly watching the kids and kind of steering clear from all the garbage. And I see this man walking by yesterday. Uh, the obvious down and out look. And my heart immediately goes, what are you doing here? And I see him go to the end and then disappear over the edge. And my thought is, just another example that is exasperating the problem. And then I feel convicted. Convicted not because I could necessarily change the man's heart. Convicted not because I could have necessarily changed his whole situation. But convicted because my heart was immediately closed off from even asking, Lord, what would you want me to do potentially for this man? Even if it was to have pity and to pray for the young man. Just this morning, it kind of just connected with me even more and Pastor Tom and I and Jamie Mason were up there and we're laughing it up about some things and then all of a sudden it just hit me. I said, I wonder when the last time that young man that I saw yesterday walking on our street, I wonder when the last time is he even laughed. I wonder when the last time he had reason to smile. I wonder when was the last time he experienced any hope. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let me ask you this, IBC family. Would you consider yourself a merciful person? Would you consider yourself a person who desires to extend mercy regularly? Perhaps we need to actually understand what mercy is so that we can honestly and accurately assess if we are a person of mercy or not. I don't know about you, when you do a quick Google search or a definition, you know, Google's amazing in some ways, but sometimes it's not so clarifying. And you do a quick Google search, and all the definitions pretty much can be summarized in this fashion. Mercy is the withholding of justice and the giving of compassion. In a sense, you give compassion and forgiveness instead of giving punishment and justice. Oftentimes when we think of mercy, we think of uh, maybe mercy ministries and that we think of uh, things such as uh, charitable organizations, NGOs, nonprofits, 
churches even that are, are, are giving to the social needs that are in our society. We call them mercy ministries more often than not. But the real, when it comes down to it, do we really understand mercy? Do we understand the kind of mercy that Jesus speaks of here in Matthew chapter five or seven? I think the best way to understand mercy is really to get various descriptions of it. To almost kind of approach it from multiple vantage points so that we can have a a fuller grasp, a fuller understanding of what in the world biblical mercy, godly mercy is all about. And I believe the the first thing, the first description that really helps us understand mercy is that is by seeing mercy in action. Sometimes the best way to understand mercy is just seeing it. You know it when you see it, in other words, right? You may not be able to define it. You may not be able to understand it conceptually, but you know it when you see it. I think a, more, a very common day, uh, current example would, that be, uh, would be that of uh, Mother Teresa. Now, I know she's been dead for over 20 years, but Mother Teresa is almost the epitome of mercy ministry, right? I mean, when you use mercy, it almost goes hand in hand with Mother Teresa. She was a woman who, who delved into the mess. She was willing to, to rub shoulders with the down and out, the downcast, the people that, that were uh, the untouchables, the Dalit class in India, the people that were full of diseases and had nothing and no hope whatsoever. She was willing to love and to serve those people. And regardless of our theological differences, in the end, Mother Teresa loved well. I believe another picture that we get through the lens of scripture is found in Luke chapter 10. Thank you, Brother Vern, for reading the passage for us. You guys know this parable. Most of us know this parable all too well. We know the good Samaritan. We know that, yes, the priest and the Levi, they didn't show mercy. The Samaritan, he did show mercy. But just to, to understand what's going on here, the reason why the good Samaritan is good is not because he is good in and of himself. It's because he's the only one who is willing to act on behalf of the need of somebody else. He saw He felt, and he acted. Which is why Jesus says, who showed to be the one serving his neighbor? And the lawyer couldn't help but say, the one who showed mercy. And he says, go and do likewise. The reason why the Good Samaritan is good, as I said, is because he was willing to act. That brings us to our second description. Mercy is compassion in action. Mercy is compassion in action. You know, when you, when you, when you think about various terms or synonymous terms like compassion and empathy and, and sympathy and pity, all these words are very similar and they all kind of uh, encompass this understanding of, of feeling sorrow over a person's situation. 
You feel bad. You feel pity. You feel kind of a, a weight or a burden about someone's situation or a, a situation that, uh, that is more on a national level. Your heart breaks, in other words. We would use terms such as compassion and sympathy to describe that, but mercy is different because mercy is acting on these feelings. You see, it's one thing to feel sorry for the homeless person sitting against a wall. It's another thing altogether to do something about it. Many people feel sorry. The question is, Are you willing to do something about it? More specifically, are you willing to take personal responsibility to do something about it? For example, when you see someone hungry, are you willing to personally make sure they have a meal? When you see someone in any kind of need or hurting, Are you willing to personally take responsibility to relieve pain or to provide for their need? Now, I understand that not all of us in here, in fact, and probably none of us in here can fully remove the situation in someone's life. It's not like you can fix someone's life. It's not like you can remediate someone's life altogether. But you can do something. You can do something. You can't change poverty in a war-torn, dictator-run nation. But you can do something. For example, you can sponsor a child. You may not be able to legislate change in a country, but you can sponsor a child. You can't change everyone's reality, but you can change it for one. Or for example, you could say, man, the the abortion rate is ridiculous. In the U.S. alone, it's almost a million abortions every single year, just in the U.S. alone. Isn't that staggering? Almost a million babies are aborted every single year just in the United States, and you go, how in the world would I ever make a difference in that? What role could I ever even play even to make a dent in what is going on here? You can do something. Perhaps you could give a mother an option by saying, I will adopt your baby. There's a family in our church who just did that recently. River Sussman, who uh, is the director of My Choices, she every so often gives out emails saying, hey, can you pray for this mom? Can you pray for this mom? Can you pray for this family? And it's all in relationship to young women who are choosing between abortion or giving birth, and they're conflicted in their choices. And oftentimes we get a message that says, please pray. And just recently, about a week and a half ago, a message came out. And as soon as that message came out, more often than not, if you even got that message, you'd be like, okay, I'm going to pray. But one family in our church, Joe and Kendra Fors, 
they felt compelled to say, we'll take that baby. And so he immediately responded with an email. Can I get the information of this mother? Shortly after, he was on the phone with the mother saying, we'll take your baby. Put yourself in that situation. That's gonna change our whole dynamic. That's gonna change everything. We're not prepared for this. What if God was saying, this is exactly what I want you to do? Long story short, there was another family already prepared, kind of in the system, ready to receive a baby. And so the fours did not, are not going to be receiving that baby. But I love their willingness to say, we care for that life and we're willing to take personal responsibility to say, yes, we will take that baby. We will adopt. I love how scripture uses adoption as how God pursued us and adopted us. You can't change everybody's situation, but you can do something. Mercy is compassion in action. But what we understand about what Jesus is teaching us here in this verse is that mercy is also a way of life. Mercy is a way of life. You see, the kind of mercy that Jesus speaks of here is not some random act of kindness and it's not some guilt-induced response to someone's need, necessarily. It's not giving the panhandler the, the quarter, perhaps. But the kind of mercy that Jesus is speaking of here is really mercy as a way of life. It is, is, it's mercy, in a sense, where, who's, who's, where someone's life or your life is bent on showing mercy on a regular basis. He didn't say, blessed are those who sometimes extend mercy. He says, blessed are the merciful. In other words, you embody a spirit of mercy. Your normal way of life is to be merciful to people in whatever situation God brings into your life. It's a habit that you go about exuding and it's normative in your life. I mean, you get the distinction here, right? It's not random. It's just who you are. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that random acts of kindness aren't good. I would not discourage you from uh, to blessing people kind of unexpectedly. I wouldn't discourage at all. I think it can be really good. In fact, I would even encourage you to, to take advantage of those one-time opportunities. For example, last week we had Living Water International. What a perfect example of going, you know what, I don't think I'm going to have a long-term relationship with them, but I love the fact that I can support a runner or the cause so that wells can be drilled in dire communities that have no water or really bad water. I love the fact that we can jump on board with something such as this, but again, when we get back to what Jesus is speaking of or teaching us here, Jesus is saying blessed or happy is the person whose way of life is a life marked by mercy. 
In fact, we understand that the person who is truly happy in life is the merciful person who, is, who seeks to extend mercy in all aspects of their life. In other words, and this brings us to our next description, mercy is not limited to poverty. Mercy is not limited to poverty. It's not just limited to charitable responses to the poor and needy, though it definitely includes that, but mercy also can be understood or expressed through the form of, for example, forgiveness. When we forgive somebody, we are showing mercy for that person. I think one of the greatest acts of mercy through the form of forgiveness is found in John chapter eight. Turn with me to John chapter eight for a moment, or you can just listen along. But in John chapter eight, we get uh, not a parable, but a real encounter with Jesus. And, and, And I love this encounter because it shows us very poignantly how God has treated and related to us. Verse one in John chapter eight it says, Jesus went up to the mountain of olives, and then early in the morning he came, came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who, who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Time out. No one ever talks about the guy who was also caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as he continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And at once, and once more, he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard that, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no, has no one condemned you? And she says, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, and sin no more. One of the greatest ways that you and I can show mercy for one another is in our willingness to forgive one another. No doubt if you are married or if you have siblings or if you have family members or basically if you're a human being sitting here, There may be that person sitting right next to you who has hurt you, done things, said things that you didn't like, that were hurtful. Maybe that you wanted to act out on it and kind of one-up, get revenge maybe. But Jesus says, when we are willing to forgive, then in so doing, we are also showing mercy. 
Why in the world would we show mercy like that? Because that's exactly what God has done for us. Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. The basis by which you and I forgive one another is because that's exactly what God has done for us. The reason why you and I are patient with one another because that's exactly how God has been with us. The reason why you and I love one another is because that's exactly how God has related to us. The reason why we would be long-suffering with one another is because that's exactly how God has treated us. I think forgiveness is one of the most profound acts of mercy that we can show one another. But as we read, even in Matthew chapter 6, very briefly... Verse 15, if we do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I believe one of the the best way to understand what Jesus is talking about here, to understand mercy as biblically defined, is when we look at the life and the ministry and the death of Jesus. Jesus. We saw in John chapter 8, for example, the woman caught in adultery. Jesus had every reason to not show mercy because she's ultimately sinned against God and Jesus is God. So therefore, we see that the other guys had nothing. They were just trying to catch Jesus in a trap. They were just trying to be brutal dictators. They were not trying to show grace. The woman had not violated them or sinned against them. She had sinned against God. So Jesus would have been fully justified in saying, you're guilty, But he didn't. He said, you're innocent. Now go and sin no more. Even on the cross, we see that Jesus is is hung between two thieves, and he says to one thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Even prior to that statement, we see that even though he is being brutally treated, he's hanging on the cross and he prays to his father, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. When we think about how God has related to us and pursued us, Romans 5.8, one of the, the most profound verses of all of scripture, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Trust me, there's no fairness in that at all. In this world and and pursuit of fairness that we all desire so much, God did the most unfair thing. He took personal responsibility and he died for us because he loved us. In fact, as Paul would relate in Ephesians 2, he says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. I'm so grateful that that symbol right behind me symbolizes the mercy of God. It symbolizes the mercy of God in this way. God still enacted justice He still dealt with our sin. It's just he dealt with your sin and he dealt with my sin 
by putting his son on the cross. And Jesus was willing to do so because he loves you. You might recall, or you might rebuttal, but Aaron, does does that mean that justice is never justified? Does that mean justice is never appropriate? And as I asked that question myself this past week, I think I came to this conclusion based off of my own study that sometimes justice is justified. Sometimes people need to reap what they sow, but not because we hate them, but because we actually love them. Sometimes we don't intervene, but may we never be not ready to step in the moment God says act. Sometimes, however, we are called to give people something better than they deserve, and then we call that mercy. I think one of the most profound, or at least the, at least the most common example for that in my life as a parent is in the, t- in the training of our children. Every day I get this opportunity, these teachable moments. Now I'm not saying I'm always in the the right spirit, just a little transparency there. But every moment of training our kids is an opportunity that in which both Abby and myself have to evaluate, like, is this a moment of discipline and reaping what you sow, or is this a moment of mercy? Because after all, our greatest desire for our children is not that they would always reap what they sow. Our greatest desire for our children is that they would understand the love of God. That they would understand the gospel of Jesus more fully. And I have to evaluate in the moment, and my wife has to evaluate in the moment, is this an opportunity to show mercy? It doesn't mean that justice is not enacted in love, but sometimes it means that, you know what, we're not going to do anything. We're going to highlight the fact that something is wrong, but you know what, we're going to give you another chance. What does this mercy look like practically? What does it look like to practically live a life that reflects godly mercy? When you look at the Good Samaritan parable in Luke chapter 10, there's a couple key details. I'll just kind of mention them to you, or if you want to turn back there, you can. In verse 33 and verse 34. You see, the priest and the Levite, they, they went down and they went on the other side of the road, but when the Samaritan came, comes up to this man who is half dead, we see that there's certain details that Luke includes, and it says this, that, and when he saw him, he had compassion, and he went to him, and he bound his wounds, and you know the rest of the story, he took care of him. He saw, he had compassion, and he did something about it. Thomas Manton, he's a Puritan writer. He 
defines mercy in this way, and I'll give some explanation to it because it's kind of old school language, and so it needs a little more explanation. But he says this, mercy is a melting disposition whereby we lay to heart the miseries of others and are ready in all occasions to be instrumental for their good. Mercy is a melting disposition whereby we lay to heart the miseries of others and are ready in all occasions to be instrumental for their good. Let me just give explanation to a couple of those statements. What is a melting disposition? A melting disposition is the opposite of how I felt towards that man yesterday walking in my street. A melting disposition is one whose heart is soft, not hardened. One in which you are kind of going to the the empathy side, not the judgmental or critical side. One in which you, you see someone or you see an obvious need in front of you and you actually immediately have pity and sorrow for that person or that situation. And we're not talking about you've done anything about it or that you even have the ability to do anything about it. We're just saying that you see a situation and your heart breaks. You're not judging. You're not coming to some conclusion as to why this person is the way they are because of their own decisions. We're just saying, wow, I feel very sorry. A melting disposition whereby we lay to heart the misery of others. This aspect of laying to heart means that we don't walk away in the, per, in the pursuit of my own plans or I don't walk away trying to avoid con, eye contact with this person. I mean, after all, how awkward is it when you make eye contact and they know that you've, they've seen you and you've seen them? And then you're like, oh shoot, we made eye contact. Now I feel obligated to do something. You know why I know that? Because I've been in that situation and so have you. And we're like, oh shoot, and that's why we divert our eyes or we all of a sudden pretend our shoelaces untied. Oh shoot, I don't even have shoelaces. But in all seriousness, we kind of like, we get this kind of like, oh, what do I do with this person? But the person who lays to heart, the person who is laying to heart the misery of others is really seeking to understand what is going on here. What is this person feeling? I wonder what the background is for this person. What, what led up to this point in which this person is sitting here or standing here or whatever right now. And thirdly, you are ready on all occasions to be instrumental for their good. In other words, you are not inconvenienced or frustrated by the fact that they have needs or that they're begging for you, but just the opposite. You desire, you anticipate the desire to be an instrument, an extension of God's mercy. What I love about that definition, and it's in your bulletin note, so you can reflect on it later, but what I love about that definition is that it, it includes kind of three aspects of our being, and it, it, mercy really includes the action of the, the emotions and the mind and the will. The emotions are what you are feeling in the moment. The mind is thinking deeply about what is actually happening here, and the will is the means by which you take action. After all, once again, mercy is compassion in action. 
So as I reflected on it this week, and as I was, in a sense, confessing my own sin before the Lord, I felt like the Lord giving me this. Not that it's a fancy acronym because it's not an acronym at all, but it's the words that I'm choosing to use by the grace of God to implement when I feel like the Lord is calling me to do something. Four words. See, feel, ask, and act. See, feel, ask, and act. As you go about your life, as you go about your plans, as you go about your day, your week, your months, your years, as you encounter people from all walks of life in various contexts, are you willing to see what is before you and see for the purpose of understanding? Are you willing to feel almost a necessary burden for that person or situation? And then thirdly, are you willing to ask? What I mean by that is you're asking God, God, what would you have me do right now? God, God, what would you have me do in this particular situation? As inconvenient as it is right now, what would you want me to do? And then to act. What I love about the acting part of this is it's not acting on what the person is requesting from you. It's acting on what God is telling you to do. Your, God, your job, your role is to listen to what God is saying and then act accordingly. That is a faithful life. You are not necessarily called to give at the request of this person. You are called to say, Lord, what do you want me to do and therefore be faithful accordingly? Now I understand there are many objections and and there are many rebuttals that could be said and I've forgotten both other times I've preached this to even mention this. And I know they're coming up and I'll just say them very quickly even now. You might be saying, well, Aaron, I don't want to be a person who enables people. I know, I understand. And Aaron, and I've gotten into the habit, I I don't give money to people anymore because they're just going to go and buy booze. It's probably true. And Aaron, I've read the book When Helping Hurts. So have I, many times. And it it helps us understand the the enabling that we can so easily do and and we can think we can pat ourselves on the back, but we're actually hurting people, and that's, that's all true. but would you rather err on the side of mercy or would you err on the side of being judgmental? I'm always reminded of what, I think it's Matthew 24, Matthew 25, when Jesus says, the people respond to Jesus saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you Thirsty? When did we see you naked? When did we see you? When did we visit you in prison? And he says, The way in which you did to the least of these, you did for me. 
I love what the proverb says. When you are generous with the poor, when you are generous with one another, you are actually lending to the Lord. So my challenge for you is this, IBC family. There is great wisdom to exercise in our serving of people, yes. We want to be wise. We want to be good stewards of God's resources. We don't want to be foolish, yes. But before we begin to dismiss ourselves from any obligation, before we begin to remove any sense of uh, uh, role that we might play, may I ask you or challenge you with this, what is God asking you to do? Are you listening to what God would have you do for this particular person in front of you. I'll conclude it in this way. We obviously see the promise that Jesus offers here in Matthew chapter five, verse seven, when he says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. In your sermon notes there, there's a handful of passages to reflect on later of all the various benefits that God promises for those who are extensions of his mercy. In Luke chapter 18, there's this another, another, not a parable, but another encounter with Jesus in which there's a blind man sitting on the steps of the temple and although he, because he's blind, he doesn't know what Jesus looks like, but we do know this, that there's a kind of a, a, a ruckus here. There's a commotion that's taking place here and Jesus is returning to the temple And he knows it's Jesus because this is an unusual chatter. There's an unusual excitement here. And and he's sitting there blind and he might have even heard that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And so as he hears the sound getting closer, he yells out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And of course the entourage and even his disciples are saying, keep this man quiet. And no doubt if you envision the, the scene here, perhaps he's in the middle of a conversation making a very important point. In fact, he's heading up to the temple and many people are going to be blessed by his presence and many people are going to be so benefited because of his teaching and many people are going to be blessed. What is this beggar here? Why is he going to sabotage all that? But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus stops everything. And he addresses the need right in front of him. And the question I leave for you is this. Are you willing to stop? Are you willing to stop to see, to understand, to feel, and to ask, God, what would you have me do for this person? Perhaps God is saying, Aaron, I want to use you to be an extension of my mercy and grace. I want you to use you to be the extension of my love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is a very sobering, convicting, but empowering message. And I just pray that we as a church, Father, as we 
surrender our lives to you. That we would look for opportunities to be extensions of your mercy and grace. That we would go about our life with the anticipation that we get to be your hands and your feet. Eager to show mercy. Eager to show the love of Christ. And glorifying you as a result. We pray that you would empower us as you promise to do by your spirit to be faithful to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.